for some reason, the, the line that, that stuck most to me that kind of, for some reason, made me the most proud was, if I could put my tax money towards this, this is where I would spend it. And I like that. I thought that was a good message. Welcome to the 317th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. As I record this podcast, the next farm bill is being hammered out in Washington, D.C. In fact, the current farm bill was supposed to expire September 30th of this year. But it looks like we won't see a new one until at least December, at the soonest. The farm bill is supposed to be renewed every five years, and it's a critical piece of legislation. After all, it, more than just about any other set of policies, determines what our rural landscape looks like, who's farming that landscape, and what methods of production they use. Given that it's farm bill season, it's fitting that on a recent autumn morning, I had the opportunity to see firsthand how federal agricultural policy can manifest itself on the land. My tour guide was Adam Greeby, who raises corn and soybeans in Minnesota's McLeod County, which is in the south-central part of the state. Adam is one of the farmers LSP has been working with in recent years to develop proposals for a farm bill that supports resilient, regenerative farming systems, as well as vibrant rural communities. Historically, federal agricultural policy has promoted monocultural, industrialized systems of farming that aren't good for the land, let alone the farmers and rural communities they live in. It's become clear it's time for major reforms. For his part, Adam has a big incentive to see a more conservation-friendly farm bill. As a youth, he spent many days hunting and fishing along Buffalo Creek, which flows through his family's land. As he explained to me while we drove by patches of prairie and riparian habitat stuck in amongst his family's crop fields, Adam always had an interest in conservation and ecology, and eventually got a degree in environmental science. He worked for a time in the natural resources field, helping to do raptor research, among other things. So when he returned to his family's land around a decade ago, Adam was set on farming in a way that protected water quality, preserved the soil, and produced good wildlife habitat. His parents, Joe and Sheila Greeby, had always farmed with a strong conservation ethic and Adam wanted to continue that legacy as well as build upon it. But putting in place conservation structures and adopting conservation practices can be costly, and today's commodity marketplace doesn't pay farmers for being good stewards. That's why tax-funded conservation programs are so key to helping farmers provide public goods like clean water and diverse wildlife habitat. Over the years, Adam's family has utilized numerous government conservation programs to help them steward their land better. For example, they've been enrolled in a couple of conservation stewardship program contracts. Also known as CSP, this initiative was drafted by LSP farmer members over two decades ago as a system for paying farmers to utilize practices on their working acres that preserve soil, protect water quality, and create healthy wildlife habitat. Adam has used CSP to support more precise application of fertilizers and pesticides, among other things. The Greebies farm around 900 acres and have 100 acres enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program. Called CRP for short, this initiative pays farmers to retire working farmland and plant it to perennial habitat such as native grasses. 
The Greebies have been able to use CRP to protect environmentally vulnerable acres that often didn't produce a decent crop of corn or soybeans anyway. And Adam has used cost share funding from the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, known by the acronym EQUIP, to put in several water retention basins on the land in areas that traditionally have washed out, creating deep gullies and sending eroded soil and other contaminants into Buffalo Creek. The Greeby operation is also the site of a Discovery Farms water monitoring station, which has allowed the family to gauge what impact their production practices are having on watershed health. All in all, Adam has been quite pleased with how these various programs have helped him steward these acres. He's been particularly happy with the working relationship he has with the local Soil and Water Conservation District office, which helped him design his water retention basins. But at our final stop on the tour, Adam showed me an example of how, in the sometimes bizarro world of federal farm policy, things don't always make sense. The example involves a patch of prairie that had to be replanted because two conservation programs appeared to cancel each other out. Confused? You're not alone. Farmers like Adam are frustrated with a bureaucratic system that at times can play one program against another, creating waste and setting conservation back several steps. After the tour, the farmer sat down in his machine shed to talk to me about how farm conservation programs benefit operations like his. He also outlined some of the frustrations that come with a system that at times seems to be working at cross-purposes with itself. As Adam makes clear, there are ways to make these programs more accessible to more farmers, and in the process, give taxpayers a bigger bang for their conservation buck. Adam, you were just showing me some of the things that you've been doing with some of the government conservation programs around here on the farm. And one of the things, I wanted to talk to you more about that, but one of the things, if we could start out with, tell me a little bit about, you kind of have a stewardship ethic. You, you kind of, it sounds like your parents had that here on the farm. You have kind of, you've inherited that, but you also went off and studied environmental science, I believe. Talk a little bit about how important that is for you as a farmer to kind of integrate that some of that stewardship ethic and kind of interest in ecological health in, into the farm. It's really important to me. Uh, my, my background in school, my background in what I like to, to do for hobbies has kind of led me to believe that, that we can do a better job farming to to create um, less environmental concerns with and still produce a good product. You were able to see that there are problems. It's not that, they, that they, you, you can't just keep doing the same thing you're doing. You, you've got a creek that runs through here. You'd seen some runoff issues with that. You've always had an interest in, like you say, recreating along the creek, hunting and fishing, that kind of thing. You also felt like there is a way that farming and that kind of healthier environment can play well together a little bit and integrate with each other. Yeah, I think it can. And as we did walk around the farm today, I think we, we, we saw a few tools that, that can be used, a few good ways to do that. And, and probably, probably the best tools for me have been some of the, the resources that come out in the farm bill. So you've used the Conservation Stewardship Program, the Conservation Reserve Program, and the and equip the environmental quality incentives program and then you're also part of a research program with discovery farms so you've been able to kind of use some of these programs to you know do try to do the things and get rewarded for some of the things that are more stewardship minded on the farm 
Can you just give us a rundown of kind of how you've used some of, some of these programs? Yeah, so let's start CRP. Mm -hmm. um, we have about 10% of our farm is, is covered in CRP acres. So that, that's about a, a little over 100 acres of CRP that we've been able to, to plant um, in areas that we thought uh, maybe agricultural practices weren't, weren't working for us, both financially and, and for the land itself. Um, CSP, the Conservation Stewardship Program, you know, that one really, we've been able to plant some pollinators. Um, we use that as a tool to, to find funding in ways that, that we, we wouldn't be able to do these projects without it. I get to basically, so, so let's just use a, a nutrient inhibitor. Um, I wouldn't be able to use that inhibitor mm -hmm. if I didn't have this funding. It's just the cost get too, too much. And so, so that just, CSP has really given me the, just some ways to, to try things, to be a better steward that maybe weren't, weren't going to work out because of financial barriers. And one of the things you showed me, we went and looked at some of these catchment basins that you've been doing, and that, was that through Equip? That's through Equip. That's through Equip. I was really impressed with how just a little bit of slight engineering on the land can make a huge difference. These are almost like <laughs> kind of horizontal terraces out there on the land. They don't take up a lot of farm ground. That You're still able to farm, in some cases, over some of these, but also around them. But they've had a huge impact, it sounds like. Sounds, sounds, uh, talk about some of the benefits you've seen just from um, something that they look like not much, but they're actually pretty expensive to put in. They can cost tens of thousands of dollars. You would have never been able to afford to do that. But it, through this cost share, you're able to get that paid for. But you've seen some pretty big benefits right off the bat from that. Yeah, I think if there's one out there that I can just point at and say, I'm helping protect some water, it's those retention basins. Prior to them, I was having some really big gullying and washouts out on the fields. And um, after installation of these basins, um, we're getting less erosion. We know that our waters go into the river slower. And um, it, seems, it seems like a win-win. It's a win for us because we, don't, we, we knew those gullies were there and they were in the way. Mm -hmm. And then we know that we're protecting the water as well. So we had, you've had really good luck with these programs, but you had a little bit of an issue with where you had some ground in CRP. No, no, I'm sorry. You had, some, you had planted some pollinator habitat in, through the CSP program and had it in that, in that pollinator habitat for five years. Really fell in love with it. You really saw just flourished as a, as a native prairie and saw some real benefits from it. But then you, and you wanted to continue having that. And then I guess tell that story of what happened after that. Yeah, so I feel like it's a bit of a long story, but <laughs> I'll, I'll summarize it as good as I can. So I planted, we'll call it 20 acres of, of pollinators, which is a really awesome prairie mix, um, real diverse in, in, in flowers and, and grasses. So after, so the CSP contracts are typically a five-year five year program. And so I was really dedicated to, I wanted, I didn't want to, remove that prairie, I wanted to keep it and, and get it enrolled into a longer term contract, which exists in the form of CRP. 
And so in order to do that, I, my land qualified for CRP in the sense that it was, it was cropped prior. It had all the qualifications except for one that no longer, due to the CSP pollinators that currently existed, that it no longer had a resource concern. Mm -hmm. And so after, after trying to, to protect this prairie, the, the, what ended up happening to get it enrolled into CRP was to recreate that resource concern, which meant to destroy that pollinator prairie and then um, we, re we replanted it to create uh, another like prairie in the form of CRP prairie. Yeah, so the irony was you had to create, almost recreate a resource concern in order to qualify for this program again. That, yeah, that's right. And so it was, it was, a, it was a real technicality, yeah. but we, we followed the rules to do it. So you, you went and you, you tried to win that battle you you went and talked to officials about this and, and just it, the rules were the rules so that's an example of where maybe some of these conservation programs through the farm bill could be modified to maybe in a way uh, uh, the way i put it is play nicely with each other <laughs> or communicate better with each other so that we see this continuous benefits th and we don't have this thing where you have to go back tear out a prairie you know destroy it and start over again now we did go out there and it looks pretty good so you know you are we are the public and you are still are yet again getting benefits from that prairie system but it would have been so much better if you wouldn't have had to start from scratch again if there was a way for these programs to kind of take a more holistic view i guess of the landscape kind of thing yeah i agree i think as as we were chatting and we came up with a couple of points to just it's kind of a, it's not a great sales pitch if, we're, if you tell somebody to plant pollinators and then to say that it's going to, you know, in five years you got to take them out. And it, it's also just kind of a, what feels to me is a, just kind of a waste of, of time and resources and, and dollars, um, of course, to, to, to do that. And one other big point is you have benefited greatly from, it sounds like a pretty supportive local NRCS office, local SWCD office, and you were able to even get connected with a, a pollinator organization to help give some technical advice on putting in the pollinator habitat. So those boots on the ground and having funding and resources for those staff sounds like that's super key. Yeah, I'm just a farmer. I, I don't have the, the knowledge to, to do all this by myself. And so those are the the wheels that have to turn to make this stuff happen. Yeah, because in one case, didn't you, you said with CSP, you had actually hired a technical advisor to help you get through that paperwork. That's right. I mean, that's, in your farming 900 acres, which isn't huge, but it's big enough to maybe make it worthwhile for somebody smaller, it just wouldn't work out, would it? Yeah, I mean, I think accessibility, it, it brings that issue up, certainly of accessibility to these programs and to, to make sure that... Um, because yeah, I've had to jump through some hoops, or I, I hire somebody to help me d decipher the I call it which levers to pull and which ones to not pull, uh -huh. and um, to to try to get the best or the most out of uh, out of the programs. And so um, I've, I'm fortunate enough to have gotten those resources, but if not, it, it's a it's a tough job to participate in by yourself. You, and you make a good exa uh, example too. That example of the CSP, where it had to be, 
the pollinator habitat had to be removed after five years. If we're going to make it so other farmers, and you said that's a key piece, is you are seeing other farmers who yeah. are getting excited about these programs, but they've got to make decisions that make common sense, both financially and kind of from just a logistic point of view. And if they know that it's going to be such short term and they're, they're going to go three steps ahead and six steps back, they're not going to be as interested in signing up for these programs and going through the, the paperwork and the hassle. Yeah, I think it's a, there's a mentality out here to, to do a job. When you do a job, you do it right. Whenever a farmer, a farm family sees that that's not going to be the case, it's a deterrent. Like they, want, they want that to, they, they, would, they know that if they plant a prairie and it's going to be destroyed in five years, that's just when it starts to get good. And so it's just a tough, it's a tough decision to make if maybe not, the, not always the right thing to do. I think to the non-farming public, they may think, well, keep it in pollinator. Why do you need to be subsidized by the public for that? But that's a pretty major financial burden. Can you talk about why that, that is a pretty big financial burden for a farmer to, even if you do have a really high stewardship ethic, you've got to make a living on land. Yeah, so in the case out here, I'm just the, I don't own any land. I'm just the, I'm just the land manager per se. I, I'm a farmer, but I also manage the land that isn't um but behind that land is somebody that maybe needs that land as income right. and in this case it's my parents and they do it they use it to retire and it, it's a really hard to just take income that exists and say that it, it, it's not going to be there anymore so it makes it for a tough financial decision we went and looked out at the, at this this pollinator habitat that's now in crp that had been in csp but then you had to had to destroy it and then start over again. It's looking pretty good. And you had talked about, I think there were some folks out from the Audubon Society who had kind of did some birding out there. And they had they seemed pretty pleased that maybe their tax money was being spent this way. I think that's a really important message for the non-farming public to see, to get, is that if you're going to, there's certain things you like, birds, clean water, soil health, carbon sequestration, there is certain farming practices, particularly here in the Midwest, that maybe we need to support with our tax money. Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I did um, have that group of folks, folks out, and we talked about all those, you know, all the things that a prairie can, can do and what it kind of meant to, to all of us. But for some reason, the, the line that, that stuck most to me that kind of, for some reason, made me the most proud was, if I could put my tax money towards this, this is where I would spend it. Yeah. And I like that. I thought that was a good message. So you're 38? Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been farming, you've been back farming about 11 years or so. Are you feeling pretty positive about kind of attaining your dream of combining profitable farming with good stewardship and kind of good ecological health? I mean, how, how are you feeling so far that you're ten, a decade down the road on that? Yeah. You know, I think the, the place that I'm most optimistic is, is my neighbors and fellow farmers. I, I just think that conversation now is, is happening. People are making decisions um, not solely on maybe profitability, but also on sustainability and stewardship. And so I see it all the time. I think we see it more and more in, in publications, in, in articles about farming. That gives me the most, most hope that we're, we're kind of we're moving in the direction. I think if we're talking about it, 
it's out there. Well, and I wonder if these farm programs, these conservation programs can help. Like, you know, one example you use, which I think is a good example, is the CRP ground. You crunch the numbers, and there on some of this, it was washing out, maybe flooding, you know, it was it's next to the creek. It was really not penciling out to farm to graze try to raise corn and beans on that every year. That it really actually financially penciled out better to have that in a set aside. But then also there's that it fits into your stewardship. It it, it benefits environmentally. So that is kind of a win win there. Yeah, I do. I think it's worked out really good for us. Enough to where I would ask other farmers to take a look at what property they're they're farming and going, well, it, this this twenty acres has has never potentially it's real marginal ground. It's never quite maybe once every three to five years it, it's actually made us some money. And and if you look at those costs and, and and look where you are with the conservation reserve program, you might benefit from for turning that into into conservation ground. Yeah, I always think of the great conservationist Aldo Leopold. He always said, "There's there's these odd corners, you know. There should you could always find that odd corner here and there, where it just doesn't pay to turn around the equipment in there or to to, to whatever. And that it, maybe it's not making that much money farming it. You know, you're just farming it out of habit. And that, that you can find ways to to kind of put in a little bit of habitat. We were driving, you kind of have a mosaic of habitat. You have some CRP ground, you have some crop ground, you have some riparian areas, you have some buffers along the creek there, Buffalo Creek. So that it kind of, in the overall scheme of things, that's pretty, it's good wildlife habitat, it's good for water quality. You know, I think that's, there's a lot of examples of that where you can find these little odd corners. Yeah, I think I think our farm is an example. It's, as, we, as we drive around the square mile, we certainly, there's a there's a little chunk here and a little chunk there and it takes a lot of it's been well let's just say 50 years of conservation <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's it takes decades but and then you, then you look back today and you go well well those were some pretty good decisions and we we start to um you know we start to look back and say okay, this is this is working let's maybe do more of that yeah yeah well it sounds like it's kind of fun for you it is fun for me. Yeah, it's uh, probably one of the you know best parts of my job. I would say I like I like coming out here and thinking of ways that that we can make it make it better. For more information on the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Bill platform and our other work on federal policy. See the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 317 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.